Um, thank you, ladies, for singing. Appreciate that. Uh, go in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a little bit. Uh, we're continuing our series on walking with God. And uh, we're going to read this passage. And we're going to ask the Lord's blessing on it. I'm going to ask Brother Carlos, who's visiting from Bible school, to pray for us. Because Brother Carlos got the base. I can't even I can't even do what he does, man. I can hey preacher, what's going on, brother? Yeah. Like, how you doing, Brother I'm good, man. How about you? Uh, good, good. Uh, Genesis chapter twenty-two. Uh, more like this, you know. Uh, Genesis chapter eight. You know, when you get around someone that has a bass voice like that, you're kind of like, kind of like, do I do I sound like a girl? <laughs> you know, it's just got that full manly bass thing going. You know, uh, Genesis chapter twenty-two. Going to start reading in verse number one. We're talking about walking with God, and we're talking about passing the torch from Abraham to Isaac. And we learned a lot from Abraham's life. And I'm going to tell you right now, what we're doing in the series, there is no way to extrapolate everything in these passages about the men that we're looking at who walked with God. We're just hitting the highlights. But as we hit them, I pray you get some practical things for your life on how you walk with God. Let me just say this. If you made a million dollars... Um, and you died without Jesus Christ, you go to a place where you'll never escape, and you'll be separated from the fellowship and love of God forever and ever and ever and ever. And if you're a Christian, and you have all kinds of accolades in this life, and you make it, and you advance yourself, and you, you progress, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that in and of itself, but if there's no attempt to walk with God in any of that, you get to the end, and you realize it was all vanity. The wisest man that ever lived. He had women, he had art, he had culture, he had music, he had entertainment, he had all the pleasures of life, riches you cannot imagine. And you know what he said at the end of his life? Without God, all is vanity. And so we're learning about how to walk with God because this is what actually matters in your life. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verse number one. Came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. I want to be very, very clear with you. This temptation is not a temptation to sin, but a temptation as in the sense of a trial. To be tempted as in the word tempered, when you take something and you put it in a fire, and you get all the, the junk and the dross off of it, and you make it stronger for having been through that fire. That's what it means when it said God tempted Abraham. Look, if you would, at verse number 2. And by the way, a great cross-reference to that is James 1, 13 through 15. But look at Genesis 22, verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, it's a three-day trip. I cannot imagine holding all that in for three days. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. That's the same place where uh, Mount Moriah becomes Mount Calvary in the New Testament, where eventually the Lamb of God, which took away all the sins of the world, would die on a cross for you and for me. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. I think there's great faith in that statement that you may just kind of pass through. He's basically saying, me and the lad are going to come back. Well, God told you to go offer him up. So dad had some great faith that even if he did kill his son, 
God can raise him from the dead. Several thousand years later, God sent his son to this earth, and he died for my sins. And thank God, three days later, he arose from the dead. Now, now look down, if you would, at verse number uh, 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And this is the first time in the scriptures that Isaac ever says anything. I think it's important to note that. Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father... And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? It'd be like, you know, take the boys out in the backyard and say, boys, uh, we're going to have some people come over and help us today and do some work in the backyard. And we get back there and there's no people. Dad, where are the people? And I tell them, you is the people, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, look, if you would, at verse Number seven, behold the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb? Verse eight, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself. Well, what a beautiful statement. Himself a lamb for Bernard. Obviously, you can read that one of two ways. Either God himself will do the providing or God himself will be the provision. And both of those statements are true. When we look at the life of Jesus Christ. He says, God himself will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Uh, for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand. Can you imagine someone making a movie out of this? Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son for me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, I believe that ram was there the whole time, but he couldn't see it until he'd gone through the situation that he had to go through. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. I think oftentimes we see Abraham as a hero in this story, but I want to remind you there's, there's two parties there that day. And the second one is Isaac. And I want to start looking at a story here because this is the first place where Isaac actually says anything. And it's the first place where he experiences God himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Carlos, if you would, open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. 
Now, maybe if you're a parent here that's ever had a kid that misbehaved or talked back. Any parents ever have a kid misbehave or talk back? All right. All, five of you. Good. The rest of you kids are awesome. Um, if you've ever had that happen before, maybe you're reading the story going, uh-huh. Yeah? The knife's up. Okay. Finish the job. <laughs> All right. Uh, look, look I, I think there's something to be said about the fact that uh, if you look at the, there's there's accusations that people have brought against God for the story of Abraham and Isaac. Anybody out there ever heard this? What kind of God would demand that, that you take your son and offer him up as a sacrifice? What kind of God would do that? Anybody ever heard that before? I've heard that. I've heard people say, uh, you know, the people that have walked, maybe have at some point, believe it or not, walked with God, went to church, are saved, genuinely born again, and they get calloused and bitter and indifferent, and something happens in their life, and they quit walking with God. I've heard saved people go, well, if that's the kind of God he is, I don't want to serve him. Let me just say this much. The heathen gods all demanded sacrifices. They all demanded that you bring your best. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you're going to find over and over and over what God does after the story of Abraham and after the story of Isaac and, and after Jacob and they go into captivity into Egypt and eventually come out through the hand of Moses and God brings them out of Egypt. God speaks to Moses and says, look, I want you to be different than all the nations around you. I don't want you to pass your children through the fire. God gives warning about that in Deuteronomy. And you know what they would have thought? They would have said this, there's no way we would offer up our children to false gods in sacrifice. That's what they would have thought. And yet, listen, God gives that warning for a reason because centuries later, a king named Ahaz, uh, who's a king of Judah, by the way, made his son to pass through the fire. You say, what is that? Offering up child sacrifices. And the accusation goes like this. Your God, the God of Abraham was, uh, was asking for a child sacrifice. Can I just say this? God stopped him. God did not let him go through with it. The other gods don't do that. You know what makes your God different? Your God is not a God that just demands sacrifice and demands sacrifice and bring this to me and bring that to me. Your God became you and became the sacrifice for your sins. What other God would do that? All the heathen gods say, bring me your best. Bring me your children. Bring me your young. And you know what they would do? They would bring babies and literally take babies, innocent child, uh, children, innocent lives. Matter of fact, when they go do, and do architectural digs in some of the places in the land of, of Israel, and they find the heathen nations that were there before Israel got there, they find unbelievable and unfathomable things that those people did in worship to their gods. The God of the Bible is different because as Abraham raises his hand, God says, that's enough. You know what he does for, with himself, though? God always goes the extra mile. You know what he does? As his own son hangs there on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know what he allows? He allows the judgment and he allows the hammer to fall on Jesus Christ so that you and I could go free. And I thank God for that. But I want you to understand the accusation that God is some kind of terrible God because he asked Abraham to do this. We need to keep in mind God stops Abraham from killing his own son. The other gods don't do that. Uh, look at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. You know why God gave him the warning that he did? Because you've got kings later on that introduce this and make it popular. And let me just say this. For anyone that's in leadership... And whether that's the leadership of your home, leadership at work, leadership in the church, whatever, you need to understand that what you say and what you do brings a heavy responsibility because there are other people watching you. 
And you need to understand that King Solomon, as wise as he was, you need to understand, listen, in time, if you're not careful, you know what happens? Your heart can go. Your heart can go in the wrong direction. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, look if you would at verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. You say, what happens here? You know what he does? He imports gods. Can I say this? When you've got the God that made the universe, you don't need to import another God. When you've got the God that knows your downsitting, your uprising, he knows your thoughts, he knows everything about you, the numbers are hair on your head, you don't need another God. You don't need to import the gods and the customs of the heathen around you. You've got the one true thing, guys. And, but you know what happens? After a while, you get, you get used to it. You take it for granted. You start going, well, you know, they're kind of having fun over there. Maybe we can kind of invite them into our lives. And eventually what happens, you know what happens? Look, if you would, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. And notice down in verse number uh, 7, verse number 7, 1 Kings 11, verse number 7. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. You say, why did he do that? Well, if you look back at verse number 1, he marries an Ammonite. And so he imports her God into his culture. And you know what that God demanded? Children being sacrificed. Uh, God's name was Moloch. It's connected with Ashtaroth, Ishtarti, Astarti, uh, all these, the same, same kind of thing. And it's eventually brought from Canaan down into Africa by the Phoenicians. And what they would do is they would bring their children. They, they would offer up their children as a way to say, we are bringing the innocent. Here's what's interesting about this. You know what God required? A lamb, an innocent first year lamb. And there couldn't be any spot or any blemish. But not one time does God say, I want you to bring your, your children and offer them up on, a sac- on their altar for me. He does it with Abraham, but he stops him. Why? Because our God is not like the other gods. Our God is not perverted. Our God, you know what he says? He says, I'll bring my innocence, I'll bring my purity, I'll bring my righteousness, and I'll sacrifice myself. I will do for you what you can't do for me. But I want to tell you that this incident with Abraham, as much as we look at it and we go, man, what, a, what an amazing test of Abraham's faith, and it was. And I don't want to take away from that. I, I just want to remind you, Abraham's not the only one there. There's a young man named Isaac. And I just want to point out to you that when you're in something, you can't always see it. When you're in a situation, you can't always understand it. I want you to think about the fact that Abraham probably told Isaac about his God. Abraham walked with God. You know what I think Abraham did? Uh, I believe, go back to our passage, I believe in Genesis chapter 18, you don't have to turn there. Just go to Genesis 22 for now. But in Genesis 18, do you know what the Bible says? And by the way, Isaac's name means laughter. (laughs) If I'm Isaac and I'm lying down on the altar, I'm like, this is not funny. (laughs) Nothing funny about this situation. Uh, Here I am. Dad says he wants to go worship God. God, uh, uh, Daddy, I've heard you talk about this God and how he shows up to you. Now, you ever been around older people? Now, not to be funny, but Abraham's like 100 plus at this point. I'm I'm, I'm thinking maybe 115-ish, and I'm going to show you why later. Abraham's an older person. You ever notice sometimes older people have the tendency of telling a story over and over and over. I remember one time my dad told me a story within the span of 48 hours. And, and the crazy thing was, you ever hear a story from a Puerto Rican, it's like so passionate. You know, and I thought maybe the second he starts telling the story, I'm like, he forgot they told me yesterday the same thing. But it, the crazy thing was, it was just as passionate and animated the second time. And here he is telling me this story. And I was thinking to myself, dad, I heard this yesterday. Listen, older people kind of repeat stories. And I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I'm about to join some of you in doing the same thing, all right? 
I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying it's what happens in time. And if you're young going, <laughs> you're going to get there someday. Right. All right. And, and the, the, the truth is older people tell stories over. So, you know, what I think probably happened in Abraham and Isaac's interaction in their relationship. I think it went something like this. Isaac, did I ever tell you the time? And Isaac's like, yeah. Isaac, did I ever tell you the time that God showed up to me? I mean, there I was in the land of rent. I wasn't doing anything. I was just minding my own business, living my life, trying to follow my conscience and do right as best as I could. And all of a sudden, God shows up and says, uh, you need to move. And, and I'm like, Lord, where are we going? And Lord's like, I'm not telling you till you go. I'm like, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. I know, right? And he's going through this story with, Ab- with Isaac. And every time he goes to it, Isaac, yep, heard that one. And, and one day, Abraham says, whoa, did I ever tell you about the time that God told me he was going to give me a promised seed? And Isaac's like, yeah, Dad, yeah, you told me that. Well, you know you're it, right? Yep, Dad, I'm the only one around. No other children. You know what I think happened? I think Isaac grew up hearing about his daddy's God. And I think Isaac probably heard the story about Lot and how Abraham negotiated with God. Think about it. Lord, Abraham negotiated. Do you know a lot of people that can negotiate with God and come out on the winning side? I don't. You know what Abraham does? Lord, if there's 50 righteous, would you spare the city? The Lord's like... For 50? Yeah. And he's like, Lord, uh, I don't want to, you know, get on your skin or get you on the bad side of you. I know you can hear jealous God and all that, but, but Lord, have you considered uh, if, it's, if, 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 if maybe there's not 50, maybe there's 25 righteous, would you spare the city for 25? Lord's like, okay. And he just keeps going down lower and lower and lower and lower. And ultimately, you know what Abraham does? He pleads on the side of Lot. And because of Abraham's prayers and Abraham's diligence with God, Lot escapes. And I guarantee you there are times when Abraham told Isaac about what God did with Sodom and Gomorrah and how Lot got out and how that Lot wanted to go this way and I went this way. I'm sure Isaac heard all about that and all the things that God did in those stories. I'm sure there were times where Abraham said, son, one wife is enough. (laughs) So I don't know if I ever told you about this lady Hagar. Yep, dad, we're not going to go there again. Okay. But I tell you what God did through it all. Did I ever tell you about how God got me through the time with Pharaoh and his household? I think Isaac grew up hearing about God. And I think oftentimes those situations would start off with, did I ever tell you? (laughs) You say, why? Because the Bible says about Abraham, I know him. God said this, I know him. He will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. So I believe Isaac grew up hearing about God. But can I say this? Walking with God means this first off. It means learning not just about God, but who God is firsthand. You know what Isaac had to go on? Everything that daddy said about God. You know what Isaac had not yet experienced? God himself. You know what Isaac experiences that day on that altar? He hears from God and understands that God is a merciful God. He learns that God is a gracious God. He learns that God is a sinless God, a holy God, a righteous God. He learns a lot about God himself personally for the first time. Why? Because all he knew about God was stuff that other people told him. Are you with me this morning? You walking with God cannot just mean I go to church, I open a Bible, I listen to some guy yell for a while, we close our Bible, someone says amen, and we leave. If that's your walk with God, you're missing out. You see, experiencing God, not just hearing about him, but learning who he is, is what walking with God is all about. Isaac knew about God, but he did not know God himself. 
And if you're here and you've never been born again, can I say this? You don't know God until you know Jesus Christ. And if you're saved, can I just remind you that even after Paul is saved, he says that I may what? Know him. Look at Acts chapter 9. Look at Acts chapter 9. We'll come back to Genesis. You know, before Paul is Paul, you know he's Saul. And you know what Saul knew? Inside and out. He knew the Old Testament. For those that don't know, he sat on Paul when he saved and talking about his former self, Saul. He talks about how he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a, a, a chief doctor of the law. He was the guy. He was the man to learn the Old Testament law from in his day. And, and so when Paul gives his testimony about who he was before he was saved, he said, guys, listen, I knew the Bible, the only Bible I had, Old Testament, inside and out. I sat under the feet of Gamaliel. I could quote the Old Testament law. I could quote the prophets. I could quote all these things. These are things that I knew about God. But can I just tell you, I didn't know him for myself. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. You see what's going on here? Well, the Lord Jesus shows up to Paul, who is still at this point Saul. And, and notice what happens here in Acts chapter 9. By the way, Dr. Luke is the one that records this for us and tells us about the encounter that, that Saul has with Jesus. Look at verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? What's next word? See, this is personal. You know, I've learned about people sometimes. They don't mind religion because it's impersonal. You know what's personal? You know what people kind of get a little nervous about? When God wants to get involved in their lives. You know, I've, I've learned this. I've learned some people that can rightly divide. They know the dispensations. They know the seven judgments. They know the baptisms. They know prophecy. They know all kinds of things about the Bible. And, and yet, you say, what, where, what's going on? Well, why is it that when something befalls them in their life, they find themselves way out in left field? They had all that knowledge. They had knowledge about God, but they weren't walking with Him, so they didn't know Him. And when trouble came, they found themselves way out in left field. Christian, I'm trying to help you out this morning. I'm trying to let you understand, you can know a lot about God and still not know Him. I think our churches are missing the mark. And I say our churches, I think even some of our Bible-leading churches. You cannot just assimilate facts about the Bible and say, now I know God. That's not how it works. You know what happens? God gives you that knowledge so that whenever the tests and the trial comes, what you do is you say, Lord, I'm going to take that knowledge that you give me and I'm going to continue to walk with you in the right direction even when it doesn't make sense. You know what Isaac did? Isaac laid down. Can I say this? If I'm a young man, and my dad's 100 plus, and he says, son, remember how you asked me about the lamb? Yeah, you're it. <laughs> That's funny, dad. I don't get it. Well, it's not funny, because, but my name means laughter. It's supposed to be a joke, right? Nope. Lie down, let me tie you up. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not going to be like, Take me, Father, I am here. You know what I do? I'd be like, the, you, the price is wrong, old man. I'd punch him, I'd run. I'd do, I'd do something, but I wouldn't just lie there. You, you know what he does? He lies down. You know what that is? He's experiencing God for the first time. Look at Acts chapter 9, look at, look at verse 5. And he said, watch this, this is Saul talking, Who art Thou, what's the next word? 
Listen, this is the guy that knows the existent, the Bible that exists to that point. Notice, keep in mind, we don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We don't have all that stuff. They're actually living it out right then. So all they've got is Genesis to Malachi. And you know what he knew? He knew it backwards and forwards and upwards and down. He knew how to rightly divide. He knew all this stuff from the Old Testament. And yet he didn't know God. Christian, can I just warn you? Don't ever come to church and be mechanical and methodical and ritualistic about it and go, okay, I'm here to get, get this knowledge. I got it. Boom. I'm going to go tell everybody what I know. You need to get the knowledge so that you can walk with God. That's what the knowledge is for. Jesus responds, the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I want you to notice that Jesus is very personal here. In verse 4, he says, the persecutest thou me. In verse 5, he says, I am Jesus. And I, I just want to point out that you can know a lot. You know what Paul says about his former life? He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. And he, ha- he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious while he knew the entire Old Testament. You know what that tells me? That tells me this is not a matter of intellect. This is a matter of this right here. You know what Isaac had? Isaac had knowledge about God. But you know what Isaac had not yet done? He had not yet experienced God for himself. And let me say this. This is not just for our young people, but I want to take a moment to talk to them. You're going to hear a lot from your parents, from your preacher, from older people, from your youth group leaders and all that stuff in the church. But at some point, you know what's going to have to happen? You're going to go through things on your own. And you're going to have to walk with God. Some of you just got saved. Some of you are younger Christians. You know what you're doing? You're hearing stories about other people and, and, and the exploits that they've had for the Lord and things that they've gone through. And you see the missionary slides. You go, man, that's amazing. And you hear stories and illustrate. You go, man, I'd like you read the Bible. I'd like to. And let me just say this. God wants you to experience him. Listen, I understand we're not in the Old Testament. God's not going to show up in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and all that kind of stuff. I, by the way, I'm thankful that he doesn't. I'm thankful he shows up right through here. I'm, I am so thankful. You know why I'm thankful for that? Because the God of the Old Testament, and when you look at how God interacted with man in the Old Testament, you know what else he had? He had a real short fuse when it came to them breaking his law. And I'm thankful I'm not under the law. Man, oh man. You go, I just wish I was there to see it. No, you don't. The people that were there were like, oh, we're all going to die. I'm thankful I can learn about who he is right there. <laughs> but can I say this? At some point, you have to learn to experience God on your own. And you can't rely on anybody else. And you can't rely on dad. And you can't rely on the preacher. And you can't rely on your spouse. And you can't rely on mom. And you can't rely on your siblings. You have to experience God for yourself. Our churches are filled with people that hear about God but aren't living with him as if he was there. You know what Isaac realized? I've heard all these stories about how great God is and this and that about God. And Wow, this is an experience. I thought I knew who he was. I didn't know who he was. So I experienced him for myself. You go, preacher, I'm saved. That's the first experience, but it shouldn't be the last for you, Christian. Don't you you ever look at the the stories and things that God did in the Bible. I understand we're not in the Old Testament. I get all that. And we're not to walk by signs and wonders. I get all of that. But look at church history and the, the, the missionary movements and how God blessed them and poured his spirit out and God used people supernaturally and showed up in their lives. I want that. Man, I pray that you desire that. I'm tired of just the, the ritual of, of things and this is what we do here and this is what we do here. I want God to fill all of it. <laughs> You ought to desire that. Listen, Isaac didn't know what he even needed until he met the Lord. 
You know, Isaac represents all the promises of God to his father and to his family. That's what Isaac, he knew that. He knew that. But he had not yet experienced the God of promise. I believe this. We talk a lot about the hope of God, the hope of God, the hope of God, and the Bible talks about the God of hope. You know why? Because sometimes we want to experience the elements without experiencing the source. Let me tell you the source of that hope, it's God. The source of that patience is God. Do you know what you need in your life? Sincerely. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know, I'm not the Lord, but I can tell you this much, in a crowd this size, I guarantee you there's some people that are just going through the motions, and you know what you're supposed to say, and you know what you're supposed to do, and you know how to do it, but man, there's something missing. I'll tell you what's missing, God. <laughs> and you know what happens after a while? You become stale in your walk with the Lord. Let me, let me put you like this. I'm not advocating that you go out and sin to try to see if, this is, if God is really merciful. Please don't take it that way. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that David talked about the mercy of God before he messed up. Would you agree with me? I'm pretty sure David talked about the goodness of God before he, before he fell. But you know what? David did not know the mercy and forgiveness of God like he did until he hit rock bottom. Do not walk out of here and say, Pastor Adrian said we should go sin and live it up so that we can experience That's not what I meant by that. What I am saying is this. You can experience God a number of ways. When you mess up, you experience in the right way. When you're right with God, experience in the right way. The point is this. You don't experience God through other people exclusively. You've got to experience him on your own. And you know what Isaac had? Isaac had up to that point in his life, he had stories about God, but he had none of his own. Now, I don't know if we have any, any hunters in here. Anybody like to hunt? All right, we've got a few. All right. Uh, we're in a city crowd, so no one wants to raise their hand. It's cool. All right. You know, like, I hunt vegan meat. All right, good luck with that. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, when you go hunting, you know what people talk about? They talk about, man, we got one time I was out there, and it was just me, and 200 yards off was this buck, 12-point buck, man. And I pulled up my sights, and I sighted him in, and I knew he was mine. And choosh, and man, I trudged through the four feet of snow, and I got to him, and I put him over my shoulders. No, you didn't. And, 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 I, and you tell the story. You know what everybody wants when they hear that? They want their own. Christian, you know what a lot of you do? You hear stories about what God is doing in other people's lives. Don't you want it for yourself? Amen. We'll take that as an amen. Can I say this? Secondly, look back at Genesis 22. Walking with God, I think it's one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life. Now, if you're here and you're not saved, let me just say this very simply. If you're here and you've never been born again, uh, that's the first step. That's step number one. He, Jesus said, he did not say you have to be baptized. He did not say you have to join a church. He said you must be born again. And if you're lost, you've never been saved. You might be religious, you might be good, but I'm going to tell you, that's, a, that's the first step. You want to experience, have a shot at experiencing God in his fullness, you come through Jesus Christ. And if you've never experienced that, and all you've got is like, well, you know, I've been to church, and I, I was raised around it, and I know the stories from the Bible. That's all great, but if you're not saved yet, ye must be born again, and today is the day of your salvation. Man, I wouldn't put it off to tomorrow. i do it today. I do it today, but even after you get saved, believer, God does not want you just to experience him on one day. Can I say this as well? And I think this is one of the hardest things in the Christian life. You know, it's one thing when you are flat in a bed and you can't move because you're sick, 
broken legs, uh, injury from playing basketball when you're too old to play basketball with 20-somethings, whatever. It, it's one thing when you can't move, okay? You know what's When I can't move, I can't move. It is what it is. But when I can move and I decide of my own free will to be still, ooh, that's hard. When everything in me wants to go and God says, be still. I think this walking with God is exemplified with being still when you can run. Now look, there's a time to go. And there's a time to go at, at God's bidding. There's a time to move. And I'm all for it. But I'm going to tell you right now, Christians get in a world of hurt when they move when God is saying to be still. Can, can I point out to you something? Look at Genesis chapter 22. Look, if you would, at verse number 9. I think Isaac learned this. Verse number 9 says, And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. I don't even know what that means. What order would it have been? There's no law given from Moses yet, but there's some kind of order that, I, that Abraham lays the wood in that God told him, apparently. But it says this, And he bound Isaac his son. He bound him. So what we know is this. When God shows up to Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham is 75. When God shows up one of the other times, right before Isaac is born, Abraham is 99 when his wife conceives Isaac. In Genesis chapter 21, look, you're just real close. Look at Genesis 21, look if you would, at verse 5. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. So, so we know, and you don't have to go there, but in Genesis 25, it says that Abraham dies at 175 years of age. So, so while I don't know exactly how old Abraham is, he is 100 plus. Can we agree on that? So let's just go with the fact that, that Isaac, let's just say he might be 15 years old. You say, why would you say, why would you say Isaac's at least a teenager? Look at Genesis 22, look at verse 4. They're walking for three days. You don't take a five-year-old in that kind of hike. Okay, anybody ever try to do that with a five-year-old? You take three steps. I mean, right? I'm thinking Isaac was not five. Uh, look, if you would, at Genesis 22, verse number six. Look at verse six. The Bible says Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. Abraham took it, but he didn't carry it. Guess who carries the wood? Isaac. That's what boys are good for, amen? All right, we're going to go on a trip. Who's going to carry everything? You are. You know, Isaac, I mean, think about that. You know what that's a picture of? Do you know what Jesus Christ does on the way up to the cross? Mm-hmm. Why do you think God puts those details in there? Isaac carries that wood. Isaac walks up a mountain. Isaac walks for three days. He's probably not a little kid. So we were just to go, let's go somewhere younger, say 15 years of age. That would put Abraham at 115. You guys still with me so far? If Abraham's 115 years of age... And, and Abraham's my dad, and I'm 15. Can I tell you right now, even if I don't attack my dad, if my dad says, I need to bind you and put you on the altar, you know what my tendency is? I'm going to run. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run to the guys that we left at the bottom of the hill and say, Dad's crazy. Dad has been talking to God all this time, and we moved, and we did this, and we did that, and God, yeah, God is showing. And you know what? Now all of a sudden, God wants me to be killed by my dad. I don't know what's going on with dad, but we need an intervention. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I would have run to the bottom of that hill, got those guys, called the cops, called CPS, and anybody else I could, 
and said, my dad has lost his mind. I don't know if he's bitter about something. Maybe I didn't clean up my room, but he wants to kill me. <laughs> he could have run, but he didn't. Christian, I want to tell you one of the hardest things you're going to learn in the Christian life is you're going to find yourself in situations where the Lord says, get on the altar, and you say, but I don't want to. And the Lord says, yeah, but you need this. And you say, you know what, Lord, I'll do that later. I can't do that right now. You know what the tendency is? To run. You know, you, got, you have this whole society. I, I've seen these videos of grown men. And some guy comes out and starts attacking someone. And the man runs and leaves his girlfriend or his wife. I mean, I don't, you, you men, if I ever see any of you young guys do it, I'll whoop you and then I'll have your parents whoop you. All right? You say, why? Because that's not what a man does. You stay and you fight. You know what the tendency is in the Christian life when the Lord puts you in a spot where he goes, okay, I want you to get on the altar. See, see, this is so foreign. Modern Christianity is like, no, God just wants you to be happy and, you know, fat and, eat, you know, just whatever. You eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. By the way, I love when someone goes, eat, drink, and be merry. Hey, can I just remind you? The one time Jesus Christ quotes a man that says that, you know what he follows up with? Thou fool. That's what a fool says. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's a fool's language. You know why? Because the fool doesn't think about what comes tomorrow. You know what the Lord says sometimes? I want you to get on the altar. So I'm going I'm to bind you. But Lord, I, I don't want to. You know what the Lord, you know what, you know what, here's the weird thing. I believe this. I believe Isaac could have run. You going to tell me? I don't know, look. You may go, well, Bible times were different. I'm sorry. Do the math. This is still over the hill. If he dies at 175 and he's at 115, let's just make this like 70 years of age. If I'm 15, unless dad's like Arnold Schwarzenegger at 70, like I'm running and I'm leaving him in the dust. And you know what the Lord does? The Lord says, I'm not going to force you, but there's the altar. Well, Lord, I really don't want that right now. Okay. You want to walk with me? Yes, sir. Then get on the altar. Lord, is there a better, is this, this is really the right time? And I think the Lord just looks over the precipice in glory and goes, is there ever a good time to lie down on the altar? Yeah. You know what the problem is? There's altars that God's erected and God's putting in your life and he goes, I want you to get on it. Doesn't the Bible say you're to be a living sacrifice unto him? Yeah. You know the verses, but it's hard to live out. It's one thing to quote and rattle a verse off. See, you know about it, but do you know it? When the Lord says it's time for you to get on the altar, you know what I think? When the Lord tells me to get on the altar, I'm like, what about Joe? <laughs> He's a bigger sacrifice. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want him? I mean, honestly, Lord, why, why, why me? You know what the Lord says? Well, do you want to know me? Or do you want Joe to come down the mountain telling stories? Do you realize when Isaac and Abraham come down off that mountain, I bet you there's tears that have been shed. And I guarantee you they're walking down. And I, I, mean, I mean, what do you talk about? Close call, Dad. <laughs> Dad, I'm really glad you're in tune with God. I'm glad, I sure am glad that God stepped in. Amen. You know, but they're talking, they're coming down that mountain. And I, can you imagine them coming across a young man? Hey, guys, how'd it go? Never had a service like it in my life. <laughs> and they're, ta- and they're, they're trying to describe it, and they know they just look at each other and go, you just have to be there. And you know what happens sometimes? You come down a mountain after you do what God's asked you to do. You could have run, but you get on the altar and you say, Lord, my plan. I know a situation right now I'm thinking of has nothing to do with our church. 
or someone said, I just didn't think it would go this way. And I said, but it seems to me like God knew the whole time how it was going to go. And it just seems to me like this was your plan, but God had a different one. And you know what happens sometimes? God takes us up a mountain and says, everybody wants to be on the mountaintop. Right? That's why the old song, the God of the mountain is still God in the valleys. Yeah. When things go right, wrong, he'll make it right. You know the old song? Yeah. Everybody wants to be on top of the mountain. Do you realize what happens on top of the mountain? You're supposed to get on the altar. And listen, there, God's not going to force you to do it. God, that's why we have an altar. I don't go out in the crowd and go, yeah, you, yeah, you. You're living really bad. Get down here. You know why you don't do that? Number one, I probably get shot eventually. <laughs> Number two, it's not the way the Holy Spirit of God works. He doesn't manipulate and force. You know what he does? He invites. You know what I believe happened? I believe Abraham with tears coming down his face, looking up at God going, God, is there any other way? No differently than God looking over the precipice of glory and seeing his son and knowing there was no other way for us to be saved but for him to sacrifice his son. I believe that Abraham looks up and he says, Lord, is there any other way? And it's quiet. Think about that. You know when the God speaks? Not until which time Abraham puts his hand up like this. Now look, if I'm Isaac, you know what I'm doing? Oh man, Dad, I hope you know what you're doing. And Dad, if you're going to do it, just make it painless and quick. I think Isaac closed his eyes. You're going to tell me Isaac's sitting there going, whatever you want, Daddy. (laughs) Think about it. He's probably lying there kind of going like this. And all of a sudden, Dad stops. And he sees that dad's looking up to heaven, having a conversation with God. And Isaac's going, I haven't prayed like that in my entire life. You know what Isaac was used to seeing? He was used to seeing daddy pray. But Isaac kind of just grew up around it and got used to that. And he kind of just said, well, that's just what dad does. For the first time in his life, he's lying there going, God, if you're up there. Lord, I don't even understand what this is all about. Apparently, you seem to think that I need to be here. Lord, I need you to step in. And boy, God sure stepped in. You know what's hard for you? I'll tell you what's hard for you. To be still when you can run. You know, we teach our kids at a young age. I think it's good to have kids in a, in a church service. I do. I, I'm all for junior church. I'm not against it. But I, I'll tell you, there's something special about having your kids with you in a church service. And I think one of the valuable things out of it is teaching your kid to be still. Because our society operates this way. The Bible says in the end times, many shall run to and fro. Right? We're constantly going. And you know what the tendency is when God puts a little bit of pressure on? I've watched it. I've watched Christians when the pressure comes on, boom, they're gone. And God's saying, just be still for a little bit. See, you think if I lie down the altar, my life is over. Oh my gosh. And I never even got married. Oh no. Look, yes, I have daughters that are college age okay so i'm interpreting it through their eyes (laughs) but the truth of the matter is isaac in his mind is like i'm done for my life is over you know what you think when god puts when god says let's go on the altar you know what you think to yourself my identity you know some of you've gone through some hard things you've lost loved ones gone through divorce none of that's easy gone through disease you know what that is That's you going, I thought life would go this way. When I got on the altar, I thought my life was over. And if you can just be still long enough, and you don't run for your lives, and you just allow God to be God, you will realize you will find a better identity than what you had when you crawled on that altar. 
Isaac doesn't walk away that day going, Dad's been telling me I'm the promised seed. You know what he thinks now? God showed me I'm the promised seed. See, there's a difference when you experience God for yourself and you learn to lie still. You know what? We all have self-preservation. How do you know that? You go to one of your kids. Did you? No, it was them. We call that self-preservation. Right? Or here's another one. I didn't do it. Go to the next person. I didn't do it. Go to the next person. I didn't do it. We need to find out who the other member of this household is that we're magically feeding and, and taking care of that we don't even know about because apparently nobody did it. And nobody's caused a lot of damage in my house. All right? You, know, you say, what is that? That's self-preservation. You know what a natural human instinct is when you're put under pressure? is to blame somebody, attack somebody, or run. Yeah. You know what God says? Hey, let's leave them out of the picture. You know what Isaac does? He gets on that altar, and there's no sibling to point at. Yeah. Forget about your brothers and sisters in Christ for a moment. Think about you, your own walk with God. Isaac gets up there looking at his dad. I, I can't, I just, it, the way in my mind it plays out, it's like Isaac is looking at his dad, and he's sizing it up. And he's, you ever had those split-moment decisions where you go, I could go one of two ways. And I guarantee you for at least a second, he goes, I can outrun him. (laughs) Yeah, I could take him, (laughs) right? Somewhere around 16, 17, a young man thinks he can take his dad. What you don't realize is dad, dad, he's old, but he ain't dumb. (laughs) He has survived for a lot longer on this planet than you have. He knows pressure points that you don't know. (laughs) He knows how to hide weapons where you don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of things you don't know that dad knows. And, but he's looking at his dad going, I can run, I can take him. And then there's this other thing that comes over him, and it's the Spirit of God, and he goes, what if dad's right? What if this is God? What if I do need to lie down? There's no fight in the passage. There's no arrest of Isaac. There's no wrestling that goes on. The Bible just says he bound up his son and put him there. I read this, and I believe it. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life that is wholly yielded to him. You know what Jesus says? He says it like this. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. No one forced Jesus Christ to die on that cross. He did it of his own free will. And you are here. You are the result of someone lying down on the altar. Can I say it like this? Some of you are saved because some people talked about Jesus when they didn't want to. You know what that means? They laid down the altar and God used that lying down when they could have run in the other direction. And here you are. And isn't it a blessing to be able to pass that on? (laughs) I read a story years ago and I love this story about a captain that's at sea. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance and immediately he told his signalman to send a message. There's lights flashing, and that's how they used to communicate. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly a return message uh, was received, and it said this, alter your course 10 degrees north. You ever watch men go back at it, back and forth like that? Who's going to tell me? Tell me, go south, you go north, buddy. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 
10 degrees south, I am the captain. Another message came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message knowing the fear that it would evoke when he sent it. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. So when the reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. (laughs) Now, you know what the problem is? Sometimes we get to thinking, I'm going to tell him. And he's saying, nope, you better alter your course. And it's like, well, I'm not going to lie down. You know, the Lord says, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to miss out knowing me. Look at Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. (coughs) Can I say this thirdly? Walking with God means going deeper than just surface. Do you know why I can't make you spiritual by giving you a list of things you should and shouldn't do? Because that's shallow. The heathen do that. The religion does that. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this. And you know what? You can have a moral guideline. You can have moral people without having spiritual people. You can have people that are religious and moral, but they're not led and they're not filled with the Spirit of God. Don't you want the Spirit of God to lead your life? I want something to show for my life when it's all over, whether it's 45 or 50 or however long God gives me till he calls me home. I want something to be there at the end when I get there. I can't do that if I just walk according to my own mind and my own flesh. I need to learn to walk with God. But if I'm going to do that, it can't just be surface. For far too long, we told people, if you dress this way, you're spiritual. That doesn't make you spiritual. If you, if you, you know, do this, I'm going to tell you right now, listening to good music will help you more than a lot of you realize. But even that, listening to good music, that doesn't make you spiritual. You know what makes you spiritual? More of the Spirit of God and less of you. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't always come easy. I wish I could tell you, you know, just this mystical idea of just, you know, just, just let God do it. Well, what does that mean? Let God, God, doesn't the Bible say God will provide all my needs? So when the electric bill comes in, I just go, oh. You know what? You know what he, if I did that, he'd slap my hand and go, no, you need to pay it. And I'd say, but Lord, you, I thought you were providing me. Yeah, that's why you're working. I've given you health, and I've given you the mind. I've given you the job, and it's your job to pay the bills, though. <laughs> Sometimes we look at this. I appreciate a young man saying amen right there. That's good. But, but sometimes we look at, it, at life this way, that if, if it's going to happen, then God's going to do everything. I don't do anything. Can I just say this? There comes a time where God is going to hand you a shovel and say, get to digging. Look at Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, look if you would at verse 17. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of of Abraham his what? You know what that tells me? Just because some people before me were willing to walk with God, I cannot live on their legacy forever. Eventually, I've got to grab a shovel and I've got to dig. You know what I see with, with, with Isaac here? The Lord says, hey, you better get digging. You say, why? Because without that water, there is no life. There's no food. There's no sustenance. There's nothing. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of the water of the word of God, and you, Christian, need to learn to get to digging. You say, why? Because the preacher's going to preach, and he's going to dig. He's going to regurgitate and preach it out. But you know what you're getting? Secondhand news when you need to get in it for yourself. 
Someone may look at me as your Abraham, but I want to tell you right now, you can't live on daddy's legacy forever. You got to walk with your God on your own. Listen, we tell the boy and the, the kids, you know, they, they want dogs. Great. All right, we got a pooper scoop. You know what? They, they just, I'm sure that if I told them you can play video games or a pooper scoop, which would you rather do? Not a trick question. I see the <laughs> smile on your face. It's like, you know. <laughs> no one wants to grab the shovel and, di- and clean up all that mess. You know, you'd, rather do, you'd rather do something else. You, you know what would be a lot easier for Isaac? It would be a lot easier for Isaac to just go where the wells have already been dug and where the water's already at and where life is a little bit easier and more convenient. Can I say, going where the easy route's not always the best route. You know what sometimes God wants you to do? Dig. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 18. Listen, they, the Bible says there, they dig those wells. What's that word? Again. Listen, salvation is done, but walking with God is daily. Uh, look at verse number 19. You know where they dug those things? They dug those wells in the valley. You know, I don't want to be in the valley. I want to be on top of the mountain. Let me tell you something. Sometimes in the valley, that's exactly where God wants you to go because you know what? You are closer to the water supply there, and when you dig, you realize that there's fruit that can come out of that. Look at verse number 20 and verse 21. When you follow the Lord and you dig, you need to understand there's going to be some people that are going to strife with you. You're going to have some people that want to take away what God is putting in your life. And you know what you're supposed to do? Dig anyways. And let me just say right now, I'm all for uh, not fighting for stupid causes. And if you want to argue about politics and who's going to be the president and, and all this kind of stuff, knock yourself out. I could care less. This kingdom is not mine. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm going to that one up there. I'm, a, I'm thankful as an American. I'm not disregarding my right to vote and all that stuff. But man, that doesn't get me going. You know what gets me going? The reality that, and listen, you want to vote, vote. I'm for voting. I'm not against it. Some of you right now, you're kind of getting like this. I know why, because you spend more time scrolling than you do in your Bible. Amen. And you think to be Republican means you're righteous. No, it doesn't. To be righteous means you're righteous. I'm not advocating the Democrat Party or any party. What I'm trying to say is, that is not your identity, Christian. Your ide- you, you say, preacher, are you just disregarding? My dad fought for this country. My dad almost lost his life many times in Vietnam. I am thankful to be an American. Thankful, more than I can express. But I'm going to tell you right now, first and foremost, I am a child of God. You take my soul and drop it in Ethiopia, drop it in Thailand, and guess what? God is still the same whether the constitutions are not. Okay? That's what I mean by that. And Christian, what I'm saying is this. You need to understand, whenever you get down and you start digging, not everybody's going to like it. And there's going to be some interruptions. Look at verse number 20. The herdman of Gerard did strive with Isaac's herdman saying, the water is ours. Can I just say this? If God's telling you something is for you and you're supposed to have it, don't let the world take it from you. Like, I just, Christians play dead way too easily. I mean, just roll over and play dead. You know what you need to learn? You need to learn to roll over and play dead when it's God talking to you, not the world. And I feel like we get it backwards. It's like God shows them, it's like, yeah, Lord, but isn't there a better way? And the world goes, well, this is ours. Okay. Like, like there are things you fight for that are seriously immaterial. And when it comes to eternal blessings in God and the things that God wants to do in your life, oftentimes it's kind of like, okay, take it. Man, how about you fight for it a little bit? 
Oh, you say, no, this is the well that God gave me. I'm going to dig here. If you want to go somewhere else, you dig your well somewhere else. But God gave me this land. I'm not just going to give it up. Far too often, Christians do that with their local church. Something else comes in. Something else starts uh, distracting and devouring within the body. And rather than staying and saying, no, this is the uh, parcel of ground, the piece of ground that God gave me. I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight. It's just like, bam, whatever. I'm out of church. I'm out of walking with God. Hey, how about you just stay and dig a little bit? When it's not easy. You know, Paul said, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, you need to learn to strive and dig at the same time. Look at verse 24 in the passage. Can I just say this? God shows up when we're willing to dig. God showed up. Isaac was digging and the Lord shows up. Look at verse 28. Can I say this? The enemies of God will learn to take you serious when you stand your ground. In verse 28, you know what the, the king of Gerar, Bimlech, says? We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. You know why I saw that? Because they didn't leave the ground that God gave them. And they dug exactly where God had put them. You may not even like where God puts you in life. You might go, I want to go somewhere else. I want to be something else. You know? Um, I, I, I want to I I I be a, a, in a different body. You know? I want to, I think every teenager or girl goes through that. I wish I had a different body. Look, you get to... In your 40s, and you're not going to be happy anyways, just whatever, you know? I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter, I mean, come on, can I get a, brother Sean's laughing because he knows it's true, all right? I mean, all this emphasis you put on the body, I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of it, that's the temple of the Holy Ghost, all that stuff, but understand it's a carcass, it's dying slowly anyways. The real thing is what's going on on the inside under the surface. Amen. You know what God wants you to do? He wants, he wants you to learn to dig under the surface. And when it's hard, keep digging anyways. Can you imagine the servant of Isaac? There's sweat pouring down. It's hot. There's people arguing with him over whether or not it's their well. And you know what they did? They just kept digging. And sometimes you want to respond. Sometimes you want to just throw the shovel in the air and run for your life. And the Lord's like, well, you just lost that piece of ground. You ever realize, for example, how, how hard it is to gain people's trust and how quickly it's gone? You ever realize how hard sometimes in the Christian life it is to gain some ground? And then when the pressure comes on and you just say, forget it, and you drop the shovel and you walk away. Look, I'm just going to tell you right now, John Mark ran when he should have stayed. You say, well, God restored him. Yes, I know. The gospel mark is there because restoration is a great message in that, and I'm all for it. But you can't convince me he didn't lose years of his life that he could have been serving God. You know what Elijah did when he was under pressure? He ran. You know what Jonah did when he was under pressure? He ran. It is a natural tendency rather than to stay and lie down or maybe stay and dig when God is saying, this is for you, but I'm not going to spoon feed it in your mouth. Look, it's like, God, I wish you'd show up and you know, I wish you would uh, take care of me. The Lord's like, I am taking care of you, but there's things that I'm instructing you to do that I'm not going to do for you. The Lord says dig. Well, Lord, can't you dig? Listen, isn't God powerful enough to, if he's going to raise someone from the dead? I love this story where Lazarus comes out of the grave and the Lord says, Lazarus, come forth. Uh, you know, all that's the way I kind of have pain in my mind like a mummy. And then the Lord says, uh, take off the grave clothes. Lord, if you're powerful enough to rise him from the dead, couldn't you just say, woo, like a roll of toilet paper just taking that stuff off of him? Well, why does God tell us to do it? Because he didn't get him. He wasn't the one that caused him to go in the grave. It was Adam that did that. And Adam all died. So he says, you guys are part of this. You take it off. 
You know what that is? You as a Christian sometimes going, but Lord, aren't you going to do this for me? The Lord goes, I want to do it for you. I'll do it through you. But you've got to grab the shovel and dig. You know, I've learned in this age, everyone wants a quick fix. I want to lose 10 pounds. You can lose 10 pounds and eat ice cream and pizza. <laughs> Call this number, you know. Okay, right. If that's how you want to do it, go ahead. But I'll tell you right now, what nobody wants to do is exercise and change their diet. This is not a message about you're righteous if you change your diet. You're righteous if you eat kale when others are eating pizza. That's not the message, okay? What I am saying is this. Our society is fixed on quick. Lord, I want you to do it. I want you to do it now. The Lord's like, okay, dig. But Lord, I want you to do it. And the Lord's like, I will if you start digging. You realize God doesn't talk to Abraham till the knife's up. God doesn't talk to Isaac until he starts digging. Christian, you're not going to get out of it. You want to walk with God? You want to be close to the water supply where all life comes from? You know what it's going to take? Dig. Can I say this? Dig within you. Don't just be surface with God. You know a healthy marriage has? The ability to communicate in transparency. You know what's going to come sometimes? Arguments from that. I'm sorry. Heated conversations of passionate points of perspective that are different in varying ways. Okay? How about that? That's a mouthful. But you know the reality is sometimes you're going to go, well, I think this and I think this. You say, what is that? Transparency. I don't mean disrespectful in it, but you can be transparent. Can I say this? You want That's a real marriage. You know what a shallow marriage is? Whatever. That's a sign of a dying marriage. You know what happens when you're dying and you walk with God? Whatever. And the Lord's going, ah, here's the shovel. I had a job when I was in Bible school. And I dug ditches. And I remember the calluses. I remember one time my dad, oh my gosh, my dad. My dad's a man's man, you know, coffee farmer, was hiking up mountains at the age of seven on a donkey and a horse and cutting down coffee. I'm serious. In, in the mountains of Hayuya in Puerto Rico, he's up there cutting down the coffee plants and harvesting. And all. I mean, young kid doing all that stuff. And, 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 and then, you know, he comes to visit for my graduation from Bible school, and I'm digging ditches or something like that. I can't remember what the story was. He came down there for something, and he came by my job site, and I got blisters. And, I mean, it's 100 degrees with 100% humidity in god-awful Pensacola, Florida. And the sun's coming down, and it's just blistering hot. You know, you open the window, take a shower, walk from the shower in your house to your car, and you just took another shower. That's what I mean, all right? And, and I'm out there digging ditches. And my dad goes, Ave Maria, mi hijo. Pero me da pena. Mira la mano de mi hijo. Mira como está trabajando este. Look at this. I'm like, and all I remember telling him, I was like, Dad, what are all those stories about you in the mountains of Puerto Rico? But that was different. I'm like, really? You know, I'm trying to be a man, Dad. Trying to be a man, you know. But I remember digging. I remember thinking to myself, man. This work stinks. Lord, what do, you, what do you get out of me doing this job? You know, I remember one time specifically praying out there, and it was hot. And I said, Lord, would you send some rain clouds in? I know some of you are like, yeah, it was like Elijah. The rain, the little hand came over, little cloud, and it started raining. Nope, just got hotter. <laughs> you see, what was all that about? I don't know character, I suppose. <laughs> But I'm going to tell you this, as a Christian, sometimes you're going to say, God, I just, I wish it'd be easier. Why do I have to dig? And the Lord's like, that's how you get to the water. 
Let me, let me close with this thought. Look at Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. 27, excuse me. Genesis 27. As we wrap this up. Isaac walked with God. He experienced God. He saw the mercy of God, the goodness of God. He had stories to tell about the Lord. He learned that, that, that it's better to be still than to run. He, he learned that you have to dig when you don't want to. I'm going to tell you a, a hard lesson that he learned at the end of his life. You ready for this, Christian? Look at Genesis 27. And the story goes like this. I'm going to abbreviate it for sake of time. He's got two sons. One he naturally leans toward and he likes, and one son that's kind of a mama's boy. And uh, Esau's a man of the field. He's a hunter. Jacob's a man of the tent. He stays inside and kind of, you know, God knows. Maybe he writes poetry. We're not really sure. But <laughs> he's kind of the softer one between the two. And, and, and Isaac tells his son Esau, go and fetch me some venison. Go and bring me some meat. And so he does that. But in the meantime, Jacob hears that, and Jacob jumps in and says, I can deceive dad. And I want you to notice what happens in Isaac's life. Look at uh, Genesis 27 and verse number 21. Genesis 27. I'm sorry, go back to verse 18. He came into his father, this is Jacob, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob, not Esau, the wrong guy, said to his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. He lied. I've done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat my venison, that thy, thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, boy, this is a perfect tagline when you want to do something and justify that you're lying because God brought it to me. God didn't bring you that, boy. Mama brought you that. Your plans brought you that. Your, your manipulation brought you that. God didn't have anything to do with that. But look at what happens here in verse 21. And Isaac said unto Jacob, come near, I pray thee. Now watch it. This is what I want you to get a hold of as we wrap this up. That I may... Can I tell you a very valuable lesson that Isaac learned? Because he gets deceived by his own son. Walking with God means walking by faith and not by feeling. You want to walk with God? When your feelings are going this way and God's word says to go this way, what are you going to do? When your friends are going this way and God says stick it out and you go this way, when your feelings are saying, but I can't take it anymore, and God says one more step, the list goes on as a Christian. Can I just say this? If you continue for the rest of your life to operate by just your feelings, you will never really know who God is. You might be saved, but you're going to miss out. Real quick question. Anybody here ever thought that you were absolutely 1,000% right and you made a decision and 10 to 15 years later you were like, I'm an idiot. Anybody ever been there before? All right, if you're younger, you will raise your hand in a couple years. Okay? You know why? Because you can't live by your feelings and walk with God. You know what I think Isaac began to do? Rely on his strengths. Look at verse number one. Can I say this? Eventually your strengths go away. The, th the things that you think make you strong, they don't last forever. If they're just in the flesh. Look at verse one. It came to pass that when Isaac was what? And his eyes were what? So he could not what? <laughs> You know what he's doing? He's, he's going, well, I, I, I've always been okay. I've always been able to handle it. Can, I can see well. I can do this well. Listen, eventually that fades. You know what you have to learn to go by? Not by what you see and by what you touch and by what you taste, but, but what God actually says is right. You say, what is that? That's walking with God. 2,000 years ago, 
A man named Jesus Christ went against all of his feelings. And he said this, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. At the expulsion of his own feelings, we are here, and if you're saved, you're saved because that man went against his own feelings to save your soul. Christian, can I encourage you? When you go through the things you go through in this life, learn to lie down on the altar. Don't run. Learn to dig when it's not convenient. And do not go by your feelings. You will regret it. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us in your word. Well, there's not enough time to thank you, but we do thank you for it. There's so many valuable, invaluable lessons here. God, I pray you'd help us as your people. Lord, I pray that well, the believers that are here would not be in such a rush, Lord, to think about the next thing and lunch and got to go here and got to go there, the pressures of life, and to just be still for a moment and maybe take a moment. Whether the altar's at their seat or up here, Lord, they would fall at an altar and maybe just stay there for a little bit. Lord, I pray that our church would be a church of people that don't just want to know about you but want to know you. the Lord spoke to you, Christian, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to respond the right way. Come to the altar and let God minister to you and you have a conversation with him. Some of you pray and you say, God, I just wish you would take this thing away. And the easy thing to do is say, Lord, I'm not digging anymore. I'm done. Can I just say this? It wasn't until which time Isaac had re-dug the wells that had already been dug that God showed up and spoke to him. Christian, you ought to desire that. Your feelings are real. Listen to me carefully. Your feelings are real. I'm not denying your feelings. But your feelings are not truth. Truth is truth. Want to walk with God? You got to learn to say, Well, I feel this way, and it sure is real to me, but ultimately, God, you're right. I could run, <laughs> I could leave where I'm at right now and just escape the pressure. But Lord, I know you want me to be still. Be still and know that I am God. You're all on the altar of sacrifice laid. That's the song. There's a lot of believers in here. I believe most of you are saved, but with heads bowed and eyes closed, as these pray, there's no rush. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'll ask this question. If you're here and you know without a shadow of a doubt you've been born again, you've been redeemed, by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved by his dying, his burial, and his resurrection. There's a point in your life where you went from darkness to light, where you went from Satan to God, where you went from self-righteousness to the righteousness of God. If that's you and you know you're saved, you can just slip up your hand and go, yeah, preacher, I'm, I know I'm a child of God. 
Yeah, your testimonies might be different. Some of you may have gotten saved later in life, some earlier in life. But if you're saved, you're saved. Now, let me ask this question. If you're here today, as these are praying, and even if you're not at the altar, I pray you be in a spirit of prayer where you're at, with no one looking around. If you're here and you're like, preacher, I'm not sure I am saved. I don't know that I've ever been born again. Would you be honest enough, a man or a woman of integrity enough to say, I'm not saved. Man, I'd, I'd like to be though. I won't point you out. I won't drag you down. It's not how the thing works anyways. But if you're willing to slip up your hand, I'd like to at least pray for you individually. Is there anybody here like that that would say, I know about God, but I don't know Him. I've never been saved. If that's you, won't embarrass you. Simply slip up your hand and say, why? I just want to be able to pray for you. And I'll say this, if that is you, I want to encourage you. Find me after church. I won't be in a rush. I'll be here. I'd love to open up a Bible and tell you how you can be saved. We've watched people that have sat down and spent 10, 15 minutes looking at some verses in the Bible. And at the end of that examination, the conclusion they came to is, yep, I want to be saved. 10 to 15 minutes changed their eternal destiny forever. It's worth it. It's worth it. And if you're here and there's that nagging thing in the back of your mind, like, I hope I'm saved. I think I'm saved. I want to be saved. Boy, I wouldn't leave this place without getting that thing settled. The Bible talks about the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Abraham's a great man. I don't want to dismiss anything that we learned about him. But the story of Abraham is very closely intertwined with the story of Isaac. And Isaac's story, while he was born in chapter 21, there's not much we know about him. But man, in chapter 22, kind of comes to life. It comes to life by being still on the altar. Thank you, Brother Joe. Appreciate that. Thank you for coming today. I hope the Lord spoke to you and gave you something to consider as we go and and go our separate ways. Uh, Discipleship, don't forget, go downstairs for lunch. Come back up after lunch. Brother Tim will be teaching your lesson. And uh, for everybody else, uh, Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday night, uh, 6 o'clock for the teenagers. Brother Jose should be back in action. Uh, 7 o'clock for everybody else. Uh, We're going to continue our study on the seven letters to seven churches. We hope you can make it for that, for our midweek Bible study. Let's close in a word of prayer and just thank the Lord for what he's done for us. And uh, I'm going to ask Brother Johnny if you do that for us and close us in a word of prayer, sir.